Hello and welcome to the Microsoft Spotlight podcast with me, Andrew, and my co-host, John. Once again, this episode is proudly sponsored by BitTitan. Check out their website today to find out BitTitan can help you migrate your data to the Microsoft Cloud. So, John, it feels like it's been forever since we recorded our last episode. Do you want to introduce our uh, latest guest, please? Yeah, sure. Um, nice to see everyone again after our small um, summer break. But today we have Sharon Weaver with us um, from um, Smarter Consulting. So, Sharon, could you just give us a introduction about yourself, please? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, like you said, my name is Sharon Weaver. I do own an IT consulting company called Smarter. We are a Microsoft partner. Um, my background is primarily in analysis and strategy, content management, stuff like that. Um, I have a Six Sigma black belt. I'm an MCT. I'm also a Microsoft regional director. Um, so I've been doing this uh, for about 25 years now, um, hanging in the tech world and uh, spend all day, every day answering questions and helping people modernize and migrate and get to the cloud. I mean, obviously- a Six Sigma black belt. Um can, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> so um, Six Sigma is based on the principles of lean. Um, long story short, it's identifying gaps and improvement areas and being able to prove quantitatively how to solve them and what the ROI is going to look like. Okay, cool. So uh, that's something new to both me and John. I mean, one of the things, obviously, you already mentioned that you're an MCT. I mean, both me and John are. We've already had you know, MCTs on our previous episodes, but you're the only Microsoft Regional Director that's been on our episode. So uh, do you want to just explain what that is? Yeah, so the Microsoft Regional Director Program is a program um, kind of similar in nature to the MVP program. It's an award program, so you have to be nominated, you go through, um, you know, the same kind of hoops that you would go through to uh, like the MVP program. But RDs are typically, um, they're more broad. So if you think about an MVP kind of being um, heavy in a, a specific technical area, an RD is more like an enterprise architect. So I kind of touch everything um, across the technology stack. Um, in addition, um, where MVPs are kind of liaisoning between the technical community and technical product groups inside of Microsoft, the RDs are at the layer where essentially I'm liaison, liaisoning between um, executives and directors in um, companies and executives and directors and the product team in Microsoft. So a lot of my job is when I work with my clients, taking their feedback and um, finding out, you know, enterprise needs and enterprise discussions, bringing those back to the Microsoft group um, and making them more aware of some of these struggles that we face at a, at a, a really high level. Um, so things that can include things like licensing or enterprise architecture issues, integration issues, um, things like that. Awesome. So yeah, that's obviously interesting. I've, I've seen the you know, the Microsoft Regional Director thing panned around quite a few times over LinkedIn and people that are basically, uh, you know, got, are connected with having that title, but I've never actually understood what it was and how you actually achieve that. So um, let's go back to the, the very beginning of your life. And it's gonna say it's quite interesting from what reading. So um, I know that obviously you're the oldest of seven children to start off with. I am, yeah. Um, so my, my parents were um, very, my dad grew up in a very small family. My mom was one of five, my dad was one of two. He had an older sister and he always wanted a bunch of kids. Um, we kind of joke cause he, he said he wanted a whole bunch of boys. Um, <laughs> he wanted everybody to have people to play with. Um, so yeah, I'm the oldest of seven. 
Um, and, uh, and I grew up in a very large family and my dad actually went to seminary. So he was uh, a pastor. And when I was about nine, he went into the military and became a chaplain. Uh, so I grew up in the military. We traveled a lot, uh, moved around a lot. Um, and then, uh, I met my husband when I was in high school and we got married and my parents kind of moved on and I stuck around. Oh, wicked. So from obviously bouncing around, obviously you said you've been in like, like 10 different schools. I mean, how did you get into the world of IT? Cause obviously you, you couldn't exactly stick at one school and just learn a particular subject. Obviously you had to move and do different curriculum. So how did you actually get into the world of IT? So originally, um, the very first time that I saw a computer was when I was in fourth grade. Um, essentially, they brought in two Apple IIEs um, and said, uh, whenever you finish your work, you can can go play on the computer. <laughs> and um, I was pretty decent at, at finishing my work quickly, and that only motivated me to get it done faster. And so uh, they brought them in, and I started playing around with them, and I thought it was kind of cool. Um, and as I progressed, um, so I was in Gifted starting in fifth grade, and in Gifted, the Gifted kids got to program uh, BASIC. So that was one of the modules that we got in the Gifted program was how to program BASIC. So in fifth and sixth grade, I was programming BASIC um, as part of just, you know, a fun program to keep us occupied, I think, more than anything. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And so by the time I was in seventh grade, my mom – um, had bought a Commodore 64 for the house because she was a nerd too. She's always been a technology nerd. She's always wanted the next latest and greatest um, thing. And so she got a Commodore for home and um, I grabbed the book and I learned how to kind of use it. But inside the book, you could build sprites. And so I learned how to basically copy the code that was in the book to make the things that I wanted to make. Um, and I mean, the rest is kind of history, but I, I definitely early just really liked doing it. Um, I know we talked about this earlier, but the funny thing is I, I didn't like career wise, IT was never even something that was on my radar. Uh, I always thought computers were fun. It was a nice little hobby, right? Um, and I actually wanted to be a doctor. Um, I, I love helping people. I love tending to people. I had six younger siblings. I was used to, you know, um, pulling splinters out and fixing boo-boos and all that kind of thing. And I just thought it'd be neat to, to be a doctor and to help people. And, um, so I actually, um, throughout high school, I continued to just kind of play on my computer for fun, but I really focused on school and, um, I went to school with the idea of being pre-med. So I started pre-med. Um, got my associate's degree, um, took a lot of computer classes for electives just because I thought it'd be fun. Um, and uh, and then I got, I have a degree in developmental psychology, um, but I was actually working in a pharmacy because in um, the med program, what they want you to do is have experience in the medical field. So they recommend that while you're in college, you go get a part-time job um, somewhere in the medical field. Um, and so I went and I got a job in a pharmacy, working in a retail pharmacy, um, just to get my medical experience. What was really funny is we had dental interns and we had doctor interns. We had all kinds of people who were going to different medical programs that all worked in the pharmacy. And so um, while I was there, I that was at the very beginning. So they still had typewriters when I started. Um, and they had just put in the first computers when I started in the pharmacy and nobody knew how to use them. Nobody knew how to do the printers. Nobody knew how to, to connect to things. And so I was in there, you know, helping them merge patient files and do things like that. Um, and I really thought that this track was going to get me to medical school. And I very quickly realized that um, being a pharmacy tech does not pay enough to pay for medical school. That was a real challenge. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to pay for all this. And so um, 
towards the end of working in the pharmacy, when I got done with my associate's degree, I went back to the local college and took some classes in media. Uh, at the time, they were doing kiosk design um, because I thought I wanted some extra money. I wanted a, a job that would be contract and part-time and allow me to go to medical school but still pay all my bills. So I went into media, learned how to do kiosk design. And about the same time that I started doing kiosk design, they said, we've got this brand new thing called a website, and we want you to learn how to do it. Um, and so I kind of picked it up and uh, did that for some extra money, paid a lot more than working in the pharmacy and um, kept doing that and kept taking on more contracts and kept working my way up and kept getting more jobs. And basically, I, I got to a point where I wasn't doing so bad for myself. And uh, I was like, well, if I keep doing this, I'm going to make, you know, pretty decent money. And so I didn't um, go to medical school. I just kind of kept pushing forward in technology and there you have it. Yeah. So you basically you uh, become a SharePoint manager, which is kind of a banned word because I, I hate SharePoint. I've, <laughs> I've mentioned that quite a few times in previous episodes. It's one 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 topic area that I don't like. And that right, John? Do you know? Do you know? Do you know what's quite funny? Um, listening to the story is, um, I mean, your background is. Um, I think only one of our guests previously has had like a hobby growing up um, in IT and. It was encoding, and that same person actually went into the medical field as well um, before going into the uh, into the um, into their IT career later on. So that is it's it's a similar story to a previous guest we had. Yeah, it was a was it Kathy Kellenberger? Yeah, it's Kathy. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> so, so yeah, obviously you know obviously you talked about obviously becoming a you know getting into IT at the very start. Um, I know, obviously, in the, the the notes that you basically provide us before the episode, obviously, helps us, you know, build these conversations. That, you know, when you basically start getting to IT, there wasn't really like a Microsoft community within the city that you you're based in in Kansas. No, um, that's actually a good point. So, so not only is there not a Microsoft community, um, Kansas City is the home of a lot of tech startups. Um, believe it or not, people don't realize that. Um, they call us the Silicon Prairie. Um, because we're actually um, very close in number to some of the other areas that have startups have a really high startup rate, heavy telecom, um, engineering, farming, things like that. Um, and so what ends up happening is Microsoft was not really um, heavy in our area because there's so much open source and and people wanting to do things, you know, kind of a mixture of small places because before office 365 came of course it was really expensive to get enterprise software and it was difficult to get enterprise software um, in addition to a lot of the licensing needs that they had were different and so we do have a microsoft um, office here um, but it's always been on the smaller side um, and there's not a ton of microsoft support or hasn't been it's getting better um, but there really hasn't been in the past and so um, working through that whole area of Microsoft was a, a really eye-opening for me when I got into a position where I worked for a company that had an enterprise agreement with Microsoft and we started having more of those discussions and I got more involved in the Microsoft community. I will say that the bulk of my community contacts are outside of the Kansas City area. There's a few that are in Kansas City, but um, the bulk of them are outside of the Kansas City area just because that just was not a big thing. Now, I will tell you, since we've gone to the cloud and the, the licensing has become more, you know, 
it's become a lot easier to get, right? So we can get an enterprise license per person. We don't have to pay for, you know, an entire server farm to be able to use something like SharePoint anymore. Um, it's become a lot more attainable. I feel like the Microsoft community has grown quite a bit um, here because people are are able to get that now. And so you're starting to see, um, I get people all day, every day, small, medium-sized businesses that call me that say, you know, we, we have switched to Microsoft or we want to switch to Microsoft now that it's more attainable for us. But obviously, because you've run, obviously, community events, obviously, within Kansas and obviously built your own, obviously, Office 365 group there. Um, and obviously, this podcast is all about women in tech. What kind of, you know, demographic of attendees? Was it, was it mainly men that were basically attending your user group? Or did you have quite, you know, a... I wouldn't say a large number of women attending, but you know, a, you know, a decent amount. Um, I would definitely say that it's it's always been a higher percentage of men in everything that I participate in. So, I mean, you know, this kind of stands to reason. There's me and two dudes on this call, right? Um, <laughs> many projects that I do, it's it's me and I joke, it's me and twenty dudes, me and thirty dudes, right? Um, but for my event, so I, yeah, I do run the Kansas City, um, the Office 365 user group. I've done that for several years now. And um, we do get a handful of women on there, but I would definitely say it's all, I would say generally it's over 50% male um, in general. Um, I, for, I ran, I ran SharePoint Saturday Kansas City for um, last year would have been seven years. And um it was predominantly male most of the time. I started to see more and more women um, over the last few years before that, you know, kind of start to, as the numbers started to go up. Um, what's really funny is the very first time I went to SharePoint conference, I tell people, this is my, this is my, uh, my joke or my, my story, my analogy to help you understand the women in technology crisis. The very first time I went to SharePoint conference, um, they closed the women's bathroom on the first floor and they had a sign up that said men and they said women need to go upstairs because there was too many men for the number of men's bathrooms they had and there was not enough women to suit it so they actually closed the women's bathrooms in multiple locations and narrowed us down to one bathroom because there were not enough women to to fill the bathrooms and um the last time I went to um, a, a very large conference like that, um, we definitely had our own bathroom find. They opened up the bathroom, but I will tell you, the men's line for the bathroom wrapped around the wall, but there was never a line for a woman's restroom, which is really different compared to normal life, right? Normally, if yeah. you go to a restaurant, the women's restroom is the one with the line as opposed to the men. But at any technical conference that I've gone to, um, typically the men's line is is out the wall where, where uh, women typically don't have to wait. So I think that's a really good kind of description if you ask about how many men versus women, um, I know it's kind of silly to say, go check the bathroom, but if you look at the line, it's very telling um, of how heavy the, the disparity is between how many men are there versus how many women are there. I mean, apart from obviously not having a community in Kansas, I mean, what made you get involved in doing obviously community stuff and actually put yourself out there? Because obviously I know obviously a lot of women, you know, go to conferences, and obviously it is, you know, as you say, predominantly men, um, but basically putting yourself in a position where, you know, you can be judged and criticized and all kinds of what ways you what made you want to, to do that? Um, I mean, if I'm being hundred percent honest, I, I was kind of lonely. Um, I know that I did have some men around me to, to kind of work with, but it, I, I, I felt very alone in 
kind of what I did, especially when you think about admins and you think about product managers and program managers and, um, you know, so especially for something like SharePoint, where you're probably the only person or one of few people that are working in that particular area, even in a large company, a lot of times you're the only one. Um, I just felt like I was alone and I was trying to do my job and I just didn't feel like I had anybody to really collaborate with. And so I started reaching out to the community originally just to kind of connect with other people and find, are there other people who have the same, you know, similar interests and similar skill sets that I have? Because at work, it, you know, people wanted to use the tools, but a lot of them didn't care to talk about them or to really look at the new stuff that was coming out. And so I looked for a community of people who kind of felt the same way I did. As I got deeper into the Microsoft community, it was really funny because I just remember the first few events that I went to, I, I came home and I felt like I had found my people because they all kind of thought the way I did and liked the same things I did and were focused on a lot of the same skill sets and a lot of the same things. And I could have I could have an intelligent conversation about something um, that they really enjoyed talking about, you know? Um, and so when I came back, um, there were the person who had been leading some of the stuff for Kansas City. We had a couple of different people kind of walk away for different reasons. One person moved, another person was having children, you know, nothing bad, just they had other things in their life that were, were priority. And they asked if I'd like to step up and start um, kind of building the community in Kansas City and again. And so I was like, I had really enjoyed um, experiencing the community in other locations, and I wanted us to have that here. And so I said, okay, why not? And I got a place, and I put it out on, you know, Meetup and, and Eventbrite, and, you know, just kind of started telling my friends, hey, let's get together and start doing this. And they started coming, you know, and I, I started finding people in our local community that were interested in those topics and wanted to learn more about it. And the timing was fantastic because when you think about all the things that have changed over the last five or six years, there's been just massive, massive change. Um, and of course, you know, COVID <laughs> not included, but there's been so much digital transformation and, and new things that have come out over the last four or five years that having that community already built and put together um, really made going forward through all those changes a lot easier because every time there's something new that comes out, you know, we get a different topic or a different presenter in the user group to go over that. And what was really neat is, so Kansas City is very large. Um, so it's about an hour to an hour and a half from end to end if you go from any point to any point. So it's very difficult uh, to host anything because, you know, a lot of people can't leave their jobs for, you know, upwards of two hours or three hours just to go to a meeting. Um, you can kind of divide us into four major quadrants. And, and we had talked about having four locations, but that's a lot of manpower and a lot of um, energy to do that. So early on, we had made the decision to add a virtual element to our user group long before COVID. And so we were meeting at a physical location, but we were actually streaming it um, to other people outside of the community so that if you were 30 or 45 minutes away, but you wanted to attend, you could still pop on and watch. Or, you know, if you were maybe traveling for work, but you still wanted to participate, you could pop on and watch. And of course, by nature, that allowed us to record them and put them somewhere so that people could watch them later as well. Um, and so we were already doing that before COVID hit, which really helped our community to grow because 
we had people that were there in person, but we also were making it available to the community at large and, and allowing people to sit at their desk and, and participate. And after COVID hit, um, that community stayed strong. And I was really excited because by creating that community and by already having that community going, when COVID hit, you know, it was a struggle for a lot of people to to switch over to a virtual um, platform or to 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 feel comfortable with that. And we just uh, essentially said we're not going to meet at our physical location, but our virtual events will continue to roll on. And and we've had, you know, we have an average of 20 to 30 people that come in um, to our virtual event every single month and they continue to attend. So I think having that community locally has made a big difference for a lot of people through all of the changes over the last few years. And then, of course, my community um, globally is wonderful, too, because I can reach out to lots of people and say, hey, you know, how are things going um, and and have other people to to collaborate with on a regular basis. That's wicked. I mean, obviously, I've run user groups in the past and it's a, it's, you know, it's a, it's a hard, you know, task to take on and basically getting, you know, that word out there that you're running an event. I mean, I ran um, a user group that basically spanned most of the UK, so I ran it from like three different locations. So for me to travel from where I'm currently based in, in the middle of them, from all the locations, it's a good like two hours upwards, two hours downwards, and it's, it, it's, it's a hard work. And obviously one of the things for me is obviously, you know, not seeing enough women attending events as well. So that's something I, I've always you know, had in my mind. And when I see when I start this podcast, you know, I want to get more women involved in doing, you know, technical roles and actually putting themselves out there. And, you know, hopefully speaking to people like yourself, who can obviously, you know, have been there, got the battle scars, you know, can help sh- share that message as well. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to touch on obviously, you know, stuff about the, the, the women uh, in tech network, because I know that um, one of our very early uh, guests was basically a part of like, the UK side of that so i know that you're part of the the, the wind network over in the us so i'm going to explain to your engagement there um so for the women in tech network i don't i like i haven't presented or anything yet but i do participate and i kind of go to events so i'm part of the women in teams um community women in tech um there's there's several initiatives that are are similar to that where essentially they're they're really promoting that women attend um in fact i'm on a board uh, in kansas city called the digital women of kansas city as well and the whole idea is not to be exclusive to women but to really promote and encourage women to participate because like you said a lot of the conferences and a lot of the user groups and a lot of the things we see a lot of men but women just don't tend to attend as often and i think you know part of it is they're busy with other parts of their lives part of it is we just have a lower percentage of women that are in technology to begin with um and i think you know the those types of programs are really trying to show women that not only can they do it but other women are doing it and so it, it it's okay and i think if you think about you know who do you want to be like or what do you want to do when you look at at who am i and, and what are the things that i i can do if you see other women doing those things, you are more likely to feel empowered and encouraged that you can do them too. So I think all of those programs, the the underlying effort is to get women to recognize that um, that they can do it. You know, I, I know growing up, and it's funny because we talked about you know the fact that I had a hobby as IT. I never once 
thought about myself going into IT as a career because even growing up, I looked at every single person you see as a man, um, every single person that you see in the media, every single person that you see on books, every single person that you would see, you know, doing things in the news or or promoting things. It was all men. I never saw women in technology. Um, and I think one of the reasons I like to participate in those things now is because I don't want people who are coming into technology to only see the faces of men. I want them to see the faces of women. I want them to know that there are women who have been doing this for their entire career um, and and that they can too. And that, that you know, it's something that that is open to anybody. I just don't think they do it as often. I think Microsoft. Very... I think that's something that I. Go on, John. You, Go on. You, you I was going to say, and um, one of the things that um, I didn't realise was that the Wit Network was was an inclusive event for everyone. It wasn't just um, exclusive um, to, to women, and um, and you know, that's something I, I've I've never seen before. Um, I never knew before. Sorry. Um, but what what was what was you going to say, Andrew, about Microsoft? <laughs> So, what about Microsoft? Is um, obviously they do they do very well. Obviously, if you look at Ignite, it's not all just men on stage. Obviously, you know Microsoft is led by Satya. Obviously, he's a male. Obviously, not just a male, but he's also from a diverse background as well. That means that's you know, that's very key. Obviously, there's a lot of women as well when they're doing presenting. And obviously, one of our previous guests, Anne Michaels, he spoke at Ignite, you know, many times over. Um, so it's, it's good to see, obviously, Carriana as well. She she hosted it. She hosted the last um, Ignite in March as well, which was which was great. Exactly. You know, it's, it's good to see, obviously, you know, women in tech being put in the you know, proper spotlights and also having that, that diversity background as well. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think that they're doing such a good job at it. Um, you're seeing a lot of response to that, right? So as these younger girls come up. And as they're starting to start their careers, um, I think you're seeing a lot more a lot more girls that are interested in technology that actually believe that they could have a, a career in technology. Um, what's interesting is I started seeing over a course when I first um, started doing this. It there was hardly any women. Over the course of about five years, I started seeing a lot more women coming in, and I think a lot of that was that you started seeing the citizen developer and you started seeing um, business users who were power users, right? So the, the, the ability for women who were in other roles who use technology heavily in their roles created the opportunity for them to start participating in the conversation and the community in a way that they hadn't been before. And I think by exposing those types of people, and like you said, starting to put women on stage, Microsoft does a fantastic job of putting women on stage, um, spotlighting women in posts and, you know, having them, having them share their information out. Um, and I think what's happening is the next generation of women that are coming up, um, when their girls are seeing that this is a possibility and what's really exciting is I, for the first time in my career, am really starting to see a significant number of women starting to come in and say, yes, I, I'm in technology by choice. <laughs> I, yeah. I choose to be in technology. And that's, I think that's the, the defining moment when we start seeing women be in technology by choice, not by accident, um, is when we're going to start seeing that number really start going up. I say from our, our previous guest, Sophie, I mean, um, she's a, you know, a young woman, started in the world of IT, was previously a recruiter, and, you know, she's now actually going to be on a, 
of our very first public speaking session alongside me and John when we do the, the South Coast Summit uh, in October. And, you know, it's good to have, you know, such a diverse and, you know, wide, broad, you know, strength of different people that are going to be on our panel that have been in IT for a long period of time. Because, I mean, our session is, is literally about the women, women in teams um, community, which obviously you've already spoke about. And as I say, that network is obviously open to everyone because actually I'm actually in the women in teams uh, community because, you know, I'm here to obviously help promote as much as possible. So our, our session is literally going to focus on, you know, every single person that's on our panel, focus on their background, focus on why they got into IT, and obviously, you know, just push out that message. And I, I mean, I was looking at the, the speaker list earlier today, and it's great to see there's so many different women from even different countries are basically coming along and doing you know, a session at this event. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to actually going down and uh, delivering our session. And hopefully most of them speakers come and sit in our session if they're not speaking at the time and you know, just share that message a little bit more. Um, so one thing obviously we spoke about before, obviously coming on this actual episode, is the very much the, the difference between, you know, the promotion of women in like the UK and obviously here in the US. And there's obviously, you know, a little bit a few words about it. Do you want to talk about that a little bit more? So you know, can you share that message out. Yeah, um, I uh, I have the privilege of really getting to connect with people around the world, which you know I, I don't think is is. It's getting better because we have more globalized communication and collaboration now, but I definitely feel privileged to get to spend the time um, getting to communicate and collaborate with people around the world on a pretty regular basis. And um, one of the things I really have noticed is um, as I present, you know, to different audiences, um, the U.S. is still still struggling with this issue heavily. Um, you know, I, I see it day in, day out. I think I think there are areas of the U.S. that are really trying to make a difference. Um, but it, it was really kind of interesting to me that I've given a couple of presentations and we've done a couple of women in tech panels. And um, I've been um, it's been curious because my my attendees tend to be very heavily women, which is great because, you know, they feel kind of more included. But of the men that attend those things, I tend to notice a higher percentage of UK men um, overall, of all of all places that they come in. Um, I think UK is the highest. And so I don't want to statistically make an inference <laughs> based on my presentations, but I can tell you based on my experience of multiple presentations with a very global diverse audience um, that from what I am seeing, um, the UK men tend to be really great allies um, and tend to be more progressive than anywhere else that I've seen um, around the world. And I don't want to, I don't want to say anything bad about anybody we else. Are, we are brilliant. That's what we are. Yes, we are brilliant. And so that's what me and John are trying our hardest to do. You know, everything we possibly can. But, no, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, obviously, you know. As, as I said many times on this podcast, you know, the whole journey of this podcast is to promote women because, say, my background, being a conference host, user group host, seeing that lack of, you know, sessions that are basically coming in from women, you know, was a, a big problem for me because, you know, I want to, you know, try and change that a lot more. So, and I know that obviously you'll come to the UK um, in a week's, so, a week's time to speak at a, a friend's conference of mine, uh, Mark Vale, the, the Commsverse event. I mean, that, that looks to be, you know, a really good event. And again, looking at Mark's list of speakers, it's good to see, again, another mixed list of men and women, and not just men and women, but also diversity as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm really excited. Um, 
I was supposed to come over last year, but obviously COVID kind of stopped us and we did it virtual instead. And and I've been really excited to to get to come this year. And and we've you know delayed a little, but uh, right, I got the tickets. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've spoke to Mark many times yeah. about his event, and I understand like the work that he's put into it because. I mean, I say I ran a conference in the past, so I gave him a bit, a bit, a bit of advice of what, what to do, what not to do, and you know, he's just basically took it to a whole new level, and, and what he's doing is just amazing. And I know, my hats off to him. Yeah, no, everything that he's done has been fantastic. I've told him over and over and over that it's been probably one of one of the the best experiences that I've had working with a conference, um, and I've done quite a few, but it's been very, very nice. So I'm excited to to see what he does with it. Nice. I, should, I should see. I should see you there. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be there for Yay. both days. Yeah, you have yeah. to find me. I will do. <laughs> so I, I, I would be there, but literally, I know, obviously we've got podcast recordings on, on both in the evenings, haven't we, John? Yeah, we have. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be at home for them ones, so we can uh, crack on with our future episodes. But well, I only live, I think, an hour and a, hour and a half away, so I'll probably just go there and back. To be fair, it's not. It's not that far. Yeah, I mean, obviously, our, our, our actual recordings for the next episodes are actually at ten o'clock in the evening in the UK. I'm actually um, interviewing someone you've you basically um, mentioned um, in your notes. I think April. Oh yeah. Yeah, so we've got we've got April. And we've got um, who else have we got? We've got Holly, who's just changed roles in Microsoft Core, and there's a uh, Donna Sakura as well. Yep. So Donna's awesome. All great. Yeah. You just have such a great list. That's well, awesome. well, well, I'll try. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, I, I spoke to you before this call. I'm going to try and get the MVP lead from the UK and the US on yeah. one call. Um, hopefully, that's in the next couple of weeks because I know the US lead's actually in the UK at the moment. So, time zone's not an issue. So, we're going to try and both get both of them on, on a call. It's going to be interesting because I've never actually had to rearrange my, uh, my YouTube video with four people on it. So, that's going to cause some problems. But it's it's great to see that obviously there is so many women that basically are putting themselves out there and obviously i know that you, you also do a lot of mentoring as well um for women in tech yeah um i mean i've done that for years you know i think early on i didn't understand how big of a deal it was um you know when i looked we talk about you know looking up to people and and who do you want to be and and i was a big fan of always having a mentor but my mentors were always male there there were really hardly any females to look up to um especially that i worked with directly um, and so the bulk of my mentors were male, but I think as I got older, I realized how nice would it be to have a female mentor who had been, you know, who had been down that road and who understood those things and who had experienced some of those challenges. And so um, I early on kind of had people come to me and say, hey, you know this stuff, you've been down this road, would you be willing to to help me? And and I had a lot of people who did that for me. So I was like, absolutely, of course. And uh and since then, I, I almost always have a couple of people, you know, minimum that I talk to on a regular basis and just kind of help them to navigate, you know, what's next for them and, and how to deal with some of the issues and how to deal with some of the challenges, um, male and female. Um, I mentor both um, young and older, right? Every, every kind of demographic you can talk about, I've, I've had some level of uh, person working with me. Um, but I think the biggest thing that I spend a lot of time doing, and we talked about, you know, seeing, having women be, um, in all of these things. And 
I think one of the things that women really lack, especially in our culture here in the U.S., is self-confidence. Um, they feel like, you know, our commercialization of women is awful. I'm just going to say it out loud, you know, <laughs> on podcast, but it's just awful. You know, we have this expectation that women should look a certain way and act a certain way and appear a certain way. And, and I have so many friends that refuse to go outside of the house without makeup or go outside of the house if they don't look perfect or if they gain three pounds, they refuse to do any more photo shoots, right? That type of thing. And we have to get out of that. Men don't think that way. Men are like, did I take a shower today? And I'm not trying to say that to be mean, but they don't, they don't worry about every little thing. I think the way that women do sometimes, um, you know, they get up and are they clean and are they groomed and that's enough, right? You don't have to worry about some of this stuff. And we had a really heavy conversation about this in one of the WIT panels that we did. Um, and it got pretty deep in the idea that one of the things that women experience that really hits our self-confidence is if we post a picture or a post or a video out there, um, there's a lot of people who feel like they have the right to, to give us uh, feedback. <laughs> and most of the time it's not so nice and it's not so helpful. And um, and so that makes it really, really difficult for women to have the self-confidence to post things because they put it out there. And a lot of times, you know, I can put a very technical thing out there. Um, and I've done this where I've put very technical things out there and I've gotten very sexist remarks around, you know, the color of my hair or, you know, how I look that day or whatever. And I think that's just something that we have to mentor women to get past. We have to say, you need to have the self-confidence to do this and you need to be okay with whoever you are and however you are and embrace who you are, you know, at the root so that you're sharing whatever it is that's important for you to get out to the world. And I think, Women, like I said, especially here, but I see it all over the place. Um, they're just, they're so caught up in what will people think and, and how will people respond that they they missed the part of being able to really share um, their experience or their journey or their information or whatever. And, and so we're missing out on that information getting out to other people. So I think a lot of my mentoring really stems around encouraging people, both men and women, to have self-confidence and to be themselves and to step out of their comfort zone and and do things that um, maybe they wouldn't otherwise. And and it's really funny because when I have my coaching sessions, there's so many times and I'm like, pot kettle, I get it. I'm scared too. <laughs> I've got things that I should be doing that I'm not doing. And here I am coaching you on getting out of your comfort zone and I need to get out of my comfort zone more too. But I think, you know, Whenever you do another thing and whenever you say I'm nervous or I'm scared or I'm anxious, but I'm going to do it anyways, um, you stand up for all those people who who may not feel the self-confidence to do it themselves. Yeah, definitely. So um, I know we're coming close to uh, time. Um, you got a question, John? I was just going to remark on something that um, Sharon said about the, the the sexist comments and stuff. It's, it's something we've we've heard many times. It's, it's, it's disgusting, really. It's, um, especially, um, I think I think Layla said it said it last time. She does some um, a lot of streaming, and and pe people just think that's acceptable, which is obviously obviously not. Um, but yeah, um, I was I was just going to before before we kind of get to the wrap up stage, just kind of. How do you how do you do all of this around your day to day job? <laughs> what's what's like your day to day like um like schedule to kind of fit in the community stuff, uh, fit in the the mentoring, fit in your your day to day job? So first of all, um, 
I am a big fan of time management. I, I actually speak on time management as well. Um, I'm a big fan of understanding what your priorities are. Um, and I put everything on my calendar. Uh, and I, I basically say, you know, how much time do I have available this week for community stuff? And I will, you know, earmark you know, four hours or whatever it is that I feel is an appropriate amount of time that I'm putting into community stuff. And I will, I will fit that into my calendar. Um, I try to prioritize, I mean, everybody has their priorities, right, of what's important to them. And when they spend time, I will tell you, um, I do have kids, but basically, they're all grown now. Um, and so when my kids were smaller, I did not have as much time to give to, to the community things. And I gave more of it to work and more of it to my family. And now that my kids are older, um, and have their own lives, I have more time to myself. And so I essentially put it on my calendar. Um, I prioritize things. And if something comes up or I need to reschedule, um, and this is something I tell women too, is don't feel bad about rescheduling. Like if, if something comes up, most people are very accommodating and are, are completely understand, you know, it's totally fine. There's not one time that I've rescheduled something that somebody has been like, I'm no longer going to talk or work with you because you rescheduled like that. It just doesn't happen. And so I think it's a matter of setting priorities, um, putting things on your schedule on your schedule um, and then if something does come up that is more important it's just simply reaching out and rescheduling things and making them work and I do my best um, to manage that I do my best to not work a bazillion hours a week um, I definitely probably work more than the average person um, but I also like what I do and a lot of this is a lot of the community work is my hobby now um, I enjoy researching. I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy helping people. I enjoy, um, you know, learning the new stuff. So a lot of that is my hobby time where somebody else might go play soccer or um, go to the park or, or have a different hobby that just happens to be the hobby that I've chosen. So I think some of it goes into my hobby time and some of it's just a matter of prioritizing it in my, my day-to-day -day calendar. Wicked. So, yeah. Um, so getting close to time now, obviously, I don't want to you know, take up any more of your time as possible. So um, what I normally try and do at the end of every episode is I try and ask an interview question. So my question for you is basically, what's next? What's next for me? Yes. <laughs> so um, I always try to look for the next three to five years. Every every three to five years, I kind of try to reinvent myself a little bit um, because I feel like, you know, you're either moving forward or moving backwards. And so um, one of the things that I really enjoy is travel. Um, I love, 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 love to travel. I've traveled my whole life um, and I love helping people with travel. And so while I'm going to stay in the tech world, I still continue to own my business. I will still continue to participate in the community. Um, one of the things that I've added on to, during some of my hobby time is um, learning about the travel industry and I've become a licensed travel agent. And um, so I'm That sounds very difficult to be working in IT. <laughs> It is. It's, you know, it's one of those things where I'm looking to my future and I, I love what I do in technology, but at some point, um, you know, I want to add some variety to it. And I've spent 25, 30 years with my head in, in technology and I, I kind of want to get my head out of technology for at least a few minutes a day. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've been learning a lot about travel. I've joined a travel host, um, got my travel agent license. I'm during doing the training process right now just to learn more about all the different opportunities. Um, and I'm going to kind of pick that up as a, a little bit of a, a hobby to 
to really learn more about travel and uh, kind of broaden my horizons a bit. So, and I feel like it marries up nicely with the fact that I'm in tech and I do travel quite a bit. Um, so I think what's next for me is, is growing my business, um, growing my community, doing all of the same things I've been doing for the last little bit. Um, but I'm also adding on um, some extra travel um, pieces to that that I think are going to be fun and and have yet to kind of show what level I'm going to do what with, but but I think it's going to be exciting. Awesome. Well, I must say thank you very much for obviously you know spending time with us today and obviously sharing your you know your thoughts and messages uh, around the women in tech. You know, we want to obviously continue to, to keep doing this until obviously there's probably there is no more women in tech we can actually speak to. So you know, me and John will be here until we probably spoke to every single woman there. <laughs> In the tech community I think we're hosted up to we've got guests up until what March or March or April now so hopefully we've got a good lineup for everyone in the future and um uh, John I might actually have to extend that a little bit more I've been reaching out to a few more women in tech today to actually uh, come on board so <laughs> I think it might be about March in 2023 or something but yeah great cool um so yeah thank you so much Sharon for you know joining us today and uh John I will see you next time so uh, thank you everyone for listening and uh, we'll see you on the next podcast thank you Thanks, guys. Take care, guys. Thank you for listening to the Microsoft Spotlight podcast. Please make sure you hit that like, share, and subscribe button to help us promote our message. You can also follow us on Twitter at MSFT Spotlight, and we're also on LinkedIn, the Microsoft Spotlight podcast. And finally, we'd like to tell you a little bit about BitTitan and thank them for sponsoring this podcast. Remote migrations start here. Let MigrationWiz do the work for you. It's fast, secure, and 100% SaaS, which means you can migrate at any time and from anywhere. Migrate mailboxes, documents, public folders, personal archives, or even Microsoft Teams with just a few clicks. No special training needed and no customer downtime. When the work matters, choose MigrationWiz.